This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It's Wednesday, it's the 27th of September 2023, and today it is WordPress Accessibility Day. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you? I'm okay. You're right. You know, it does help if you turn the microphone on there. You know, <laughs> turning the microphone on is uh, the most important thing you can do. Yes, thank you. I know. Well done. You're a true professional. I am very well, thank you, Stephen. How are you? WordPress accessibility today. Woo! What? Now, that sounded a little bit dismissive, Stephen Scott. Was no, that a sarcastic it woo? It wasn't. It's just that I laughed a lot before we came on, so I'm spent. <laughs> You're spent. We did laugh a lot. Um, yeah, you know what? I absolutely love WordPress, but I haven't used it in quite a while. Hmm. There was a while there where I was messing around with WordPress because I was so impressed on how well it worked. Impressed. WordPress. Uh, It's it's really, really accessible. It's the first time, I think, where, you know, screen reader users could actually get into creating a really quite advanced web page. Yeah, and that's why today is not just a day of talk. It is a day of action. It's a day of encouraging developers as well, which I think is the key. So WordPress are actually hosting this day. Uh, Amber Hines is the uh, woman behind it, and she has created this amazing event which allows people to come together and talk about accessibility at WordPress. Now, I don't know, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but I, or, or tell me if there are other options, but I don't know about other, uh, let's just say, website creation tools that have this level of commitment to accessibility in the way that WordPress does. I don't think there's anything else out there doing it to this extent, and certainly not holding days conferences actually over two days i mean we say it's wordpress accessibility day but it's actually two days that this event is happening over today and tomorrow and i just think it's brilliant i think it's incredible because like you say this isn't just about making the web accessible although that's important as well of course that should be number one priority for developers and they'll learn about the tools they can use to do that today but also it's about us being able to make the content and that's often been the challenge you know, us making the content. How do we get involved? Yeah. How do we create websites? So WordPress makes that possible. Now, today on the show, I am going to have a conversation with Maxwell Ivy. Now, Maxwell is uh, known as the blind blogger. He's also an accessibility advisor, and he is going to be joining us to talk all about this. And I have to say, he has got some very interesting opinions on the ways to ensure the web is more accessible going forward. And I don't think these are what you might call traditional opinions. These are not opinions that many out there in the advocacy world hold. So I'll be really interested to hear your thoughts on this following the interview. Maxwell is here with us a bit later. Uh, really looking forward to that conversation. We're going to dive right in, though, because you know what? We get so many of these, yes, emails. Email. We, we get, get email. email. We, we get, get your emails email every day. Every day. Every day. Ding Ding day. Email, 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 email. I love that. 
I know. I just, I think I love you singing along with it even more. Uh, okay, Greg got in touch from Philadelphia. From Philadelphia. I always say that now. Why am I saying it? It's because it says PA. I always think PA Philadelphia. Oh. That may well be wrong, but in my head it says. Pennsylvania. Uh, so Greg, Pennsylvania Greg got in touch. Punks Tony Phil. Here he is. Hello. Regarding your coverage of the Apple event, you spent time on the titanium frame for the 15 Pro Max being lighter. But apparently have forgotten that last year you reported the iPhone 14 Pro Max had a titanium frame. Fake news. FWIW aluminium is about 20% lighter than titanium, and the colour Starlight is very close to the colour Champagne. Both are white with a hint of yellowish tint. The demonstration of accessible YouTube downloader and the Merlin Bird ID app were fantastic. How great your show is when you share useful technology. Please, please, (laughs) please, more like this. The one app that keeps me wedded to iOS is Talking Tuner. To my knowledge, the only true accessible chromatic electronic tuner anywhere. As much as I like you guys, talking about donuts and bacon sandwiches gets pretty old pretty fast, especially you? as you Brits don't even know what real bacon is. <gasps> and a 200 quid so-called smart toaster in the UK must surely cut the toast into soldiers for you and spread it with that marmalite stuff on it for you. No cream or half and half for your coffee. Isn't Britain supposed to be civilised? Nope. Greg in Pennsylvania. Thank you, Greg. It's always nice to uh, get a Greg email to start your day. It gets you, I think it gets you on the back foot just, you know, to get you moving just forward. Enough. That's what I it think. It just crushes yeah. the spirit. Just, just the right amount at the start of the show. Thank you, Greg. Did, Stephen, now, a serious point. Did we report yes. that the 14 was titanium? I have no memory of this. You know what, I don't I, either. Don't remember. I, maybe I did say it because I thought it was the case at the time, but honestly, I have no memory of it at all. So if I did, apologies. It was aluminum or aluminium, as you're supposed to say it. Yes, the correct um, way. Um, Starlight or now, champagne? Course, it is now uh, titanium. Uh, yes, starlight or champagne. Now, hang on. It's well, ridiculous. What are we these talking names. about? Here, it is. I mean, I don't get it. And and to be honest, I would just rather they went back to the traditional, you know, whatever it, the color is. That would be helpful. They do that on the other ranges, don't they? I think no, the, the iPhone 15. No, every, no, everyone does it. Everyone does that weird. I know, I know. It's not. It's not uniquely Apple, but they're all doing it now. But I think it's just to try and give the color more. You know, Who cares? Who cares? Special everyone sounding bangs names. a case on it anyway. It honestly mm. doesn't matter. There's been some um, slight backlash about the the quality of the titanium. Have you read this on the 15? Yeah. Um, Jerry rig everything. The YouTube channel. Um, managed to snap his in half. I still can't watch those videos where they get a brand new out-of-the-box, like, latest iPhone Mm -hmm. and then just proceed to scratch it and then set fire to it. Oh, it breaks my heart. It it stuns me that, you know, if you try and snap a phone in half, that it will actually break in half. (laughs) Who would have thought? Who would think? I stuck it in a vice and I tightened it up really tight. And it broke. That, this is absolute garbage. <laughs> yeah, because that's perfectly normal behaviour with an iPhone, right? Look, I, can I say this? I know yes. people who break their their smartphones almost on a weekly basis. You know, every time you turn around, it's, oh, I need a new phone screen or I need a new this. I have never, ever broken a screen. And I'm blind. Oh, Hang on. you should have said. I, I'm a... <laughs> well done. <laughs> I'm a hero. I've never broken an iPhone screen. And I wonder mm. how many blind people, I'm sure it's happened, I've no doubt at all it's happened, but how many blind people break their phone screens? I don't know. Is it just a thing that, 
Is it just lack of care from some oh, people? They just don't care. I thought you were going to say it's a sighted thing. They're so clumsy. No, I don't think it's a sighted thing, but I think it's a careless thing. And I don't know. I think some blind people, yeah, more I, blind people than others, actually I never take let more go care of, of my their iPhone. Stuff, so. It's always in my hand. I'm grasping it well, lovingly. We drop, we drop stuff accidentally. We genuinely drop stuff ac- accidentally. We knock it off a table or whatever. We don't go out of our way to do it. Uh, actually, yeah, you're right. I've never broken a screen or actually dropped an iPhone, I don't think. Uh, except for this oh, one. the iPhone. This one I've yeah. got now, I've um, I've chipped the edge. <gasps> I must say. No case? Yeah, no case. I, I never use a case. I don't oh, like the case. Oh, that's a disgrace. This feels really nice. An iPhone feels nice. I'm very tactilian, you know. I like the feel of it. I don't like It's too slidey for me. But, um, yeah, I have, I have. This one is a little bit um, weathered, shall we say. But hey-ho, my iPhone got, 11 I, is I've beautiful. I've got my Otterbox case on this. And, oh, yeah, um, doesn't it just get in the way? I mean, it's, it's just such a nice thing to have. Yeah, and then but, you stick well, a case yeah, but I also I like I, But you've got to protect it. This little thing, this poor little thing oh, in the world is wandering around this? alone and it gets it's never alone. That's a trouble. <laughs> I'm it wishes hand. it was alone. <laughs> <laughs> How about these folio yeah. cases where you stick your debit cards and cash mm. in the back? Do you have... I never, I don't have a wallet. I don't even carry keys around with me anymore. My pockets are empty. Apart you don't from leave iPhone. the house, though. Well, that's a good point. Yes, but that's <laughs> beside the point. Anyway, cases, they're bad. Discuss. No, I, I, it's interesting, the folio case, because I used to love folio cases, but, but I don't know. These days, I, and the funny thing is, I can use the phone with, say, a Bluetooth dis- a Braille display like I've done. I've got to tell you this story, right? So my Focus 40 Braille display spent an hour and a half trying to connect it to my iPhone. And mm. I'm blaming iOS. Yeah. I'm blaming the Focus. I'm blaming everything. I'm blaming me. I'm blaming my father. Everyone's getting it in the <laughs> neck. And I then realized, I thought, I'm just going to check something. Just, you know, you're an hour in, you're thinking... This isn't working. Why is this not working? I've reset all the connections on the Focus 40. I've gone through the manual. Yes, I read the manual. And thank you to those on Mastodon who helped me out with a couple of the questions. Like, for example, how do you say yes to something on a Focus 40? Um, Right, can I I stop you there? That was the most ridiculous. There's no such thing as a stupid or silly question, Stephen Scott. Thank you. But that question was absolutely ridiculous. No, it wasn't. How do I say yes or no? You know. If you know, you know. (laughs) And when you know, you do better. (laughs) Did you not try just, you know, Y or N? It didn't even occur to me. Because what I thought, because of what I've read with these focus, well, actually Braille displays generally, is you use the cursor routing keys just above the Braille cells Mm. to essentially pinpoint the location or to, to sort of almost get the focus on that particular... It's like a tab key you're thinking, aren't you? you you're still seeing a dialogue box in front of you with yes yeah, and no Yeah, it's buttons. like I've got to choose why, you know, and then hit enter and that'll be it. And that's why I thought it was. I didn't even think for a second you just actually, oh, no. you know, press down the, oh. the Braille keys and make up the letter Y, you know, your, for your yes. Your tone's gone a little bit serious and defensive <laughs> now. I, I, I'm so incredibly sorry, No, it's Stephen. embarrassment. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Complete embarrassment. So aside, it took me about a half an hour to get to that point. And then another half an hour to realise uh, that it was already in my Bluetooth list. It must have connected already, and therefore it's not going to connect again until I forget device and then apply again, go back into the voiceover settings, into Braille, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, it got, it got connected. I find your Bluetooth <sighs> a little bit flaky now. I, I've grabbed my Soundcore frames the last couple oh, yeah. of days. Um 
yes, I'm taking the dog out at 6am. It's pitch black anyway. I've got my sunglasses on, but I quite like it for the um, soundscape, you know. So I don't like wearing yeah, earbuds. So I've been using them for that. And I thought, I haven't used them in a while, so I'll, I'll, I'll open up the soundscape app and see if there's an update or anything. And it just kept saying, uh, not connected, not connected. But I'm listening to this through the sound course. You know, I'm oh. listening to voiceovers oh, really? through. So I know they're connected. And oh, wow. And I just closed it, take it out of the app switcher, open it up again, take it out. And eventually it was just, they're connected. I didn't do anything different, you know. And sometimes I find Bluetooth can be a little bit, I find the earpods have been a little bit like that. I take them out of the case and it just says connecting for a long time. Yeah, so, or, or sometimes you've got to take them out again, put them back in the case, exactly. shut the case. Yeah. <gasps> I yeah. found a thing the other day. Right, wait, hear this. Do you, have you ever wanted your AirPods, right, your AirPods case to be inside a big block of wood? All the time. Yeah, so did I. I didn't know this until I saw this. Oki Blocks. That's what you've got to look up. That's the name of the company, Oki Blocks. <gasps> they do wooden cases for AirPods. I must say, I'm enjoying the inhale of air and gasps of incredible thing. But um, why? What's why not? Why would you want that's, that's how exciting technology has gotten, that I'm excited about wrapping it up inside a tree. <laughs> it reminds me of those keys you get for hotels or uh, public bathrooms sometimes. It's got a With massive a anvil attached so you don't lose them. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. yeah. Anyway, what were we talking about? What was Greg's email about? Uh, uh, titanium. Um, everything's terrible. The demos uh, yeah, were great. Okay, Lena. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we need to do more of that, and we need to stop talking else. about donuts. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll definitely put that into the hopper, and uh, we'll see what uh, you know, decide. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's go to Rebecca. Rebecca got in touch about Windows. Hi. I love the show as usual. On the September eighth, twenty twenty three episode, there was a discussion about the time intensive nature of finding and reinstalling programs when Windows fails. I've learned to back up all my executable program files so they can be reinstalled later. I have an article describing how to create an image of your Windows system. I'm not sure how accessible restoring a backup image is using a screen reader. I wish we had access to the Windows pre-installation environment with Narrator. I have decided to invest in the Google Pixel 7a. Although I like Apple products, I'm not happy with the lack of choice when it comes to the iPhone. I believe Android offers Face ID and a fingerprint reader. The Google Pixel has a virtual home button that you can double tap. The problem is finding accessible apps, though I learned that Google makes it easier for users to find accessible games in the Play Store. I love the demo of the accessible YouTube Downloader Pro. If you want to play Audible books in MP3 format, you can learn more about and purchase Open Audible. I believe it will only work with purchased Audible titles, though you can play books directly from the desktop app. I own a Sense player, and I like the sound quality and form factor. I prefer the vocalizer voices, and after using some Android apps, I realise that this operating system isn't as intimidating for me. I am considering purchasing an Android phone because of the Sense player. The only thing I miss is a consistent way to emulate the magic double-tap function on every supported app. It is my understanding that Hims developed the mobile screen reader in part to deal with licensing issues and get around obstacles related to Audible support. The Victor Reader Stream is a great product and I'm not happy with Audible's response. However, you can use services like Libro.fn. In addition, there is no guarantee that a specialised player like the Victor Stream will work with mainstream apps because the company can end support for processes that specialised AT companies rely on. This isn't fair to humanware. In addition, Audible members can gain access to podcasts and the Audible Plus catalogue from the app. 
the Audible Plus catalogue offers free titles to subscribers. You can get these titles on the Sense Player, but not on the Victor Reader Stream 2 because the Victor Reader Stream 2 relies on the Audible Sync app. I believe that specialist media players that do not support native apps from iOS or Android will face challenges when it comes to third-party access. I prefer the Victor Reader Streams interface when it comes to Bard and Audible, but I believe that the Sense Player's approach is more sustainable because it is not relying on legacy apps that can be discontinued at any time. Yeah, thank you for that, Rebecca. And a lot of food for thought in there. I, I tend to agree, and it's kind of been my view for a while. This is this is kind of the nub of why I often feel it's it's challenging to encourage people down the specialist technology route versus mainstream for that exact reason. Um, support can be pulled very quickly. Things can change. And of course, you know, with something, I mean, and, and it's a great example, actually. I mean, that you mentioned the accessible YouTube app. A lot of people have been following up on this conversation saying, you know, such a shame I can't use my YouTube premium subscription with this. Mm. And it's funny because you could see that as a benefit. You could see it as a way of getting around the ads. But actually, it's not great if you A, pay for it like I do, and you have a history of video content, or maybe you've set up, you know, lists of content you like. You can't access any of it. You can't access your playlists. You can't access your favorite channels. You know, and it would be good to embed that in. And in a way, to me, that would secure the future of that more long term because YouTube and Google would look more favorably on an app like that. If they, I mean, I, I would believe, I actually do believe that Google is the kind of company that would look at an app like that and say, well, let's support this. Let's actually support this development. Maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe they do support it. But I feel bringing in these these features that, you know, oh, well, now I've got to pay for ads. Yeah, but some of us already do pay to get rid of the ads and also pay for that premium content. And we just want to be able to use a more accessible way of using it. We, we But we're not going to get that support publicly from a company that might see this as a way of dodging that. And that's a problem. And, you know, that could be, mm. you could say the same thing for Audible, but slightly different because Audible and Humanware, basically you can only get the books you want on that device, but there's a whole other lot of content from Audible you won't be able to access on that device that you can on the Sense Player. And this is the problem when you start fragmenting too much. That's got all too yeah. serious for me, but I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I love Rebecca's emails, by the way. She yeah. really knows her tech. Absolutely. Um I'm interested to going back to the the Windows pre-install environment and why you don't get narrator mm. access on there. Uh, it depends what you you class as the pre-install. Um, you know, if you're doing a clean install for USB drive, because since Windows bloody black, I remember now you do have narrator oh, support. Yes, yeah, oh, it's the best one. You do mm. have narrator support during setup. Um, you know, for actually initializing disks and choosing your disk partitions are all accessible now. Um, I haven't done that in a long time, by the way. Um, I would Thank love. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done a, a backup, an image of Windows and a restore of a, a, an image of Windows for years and years. I would love to look into that myself to see if it is accessible, maybe using the uh, built-in system restore points and things like that. I, I, I Honestly, I haven't. Haven't felt the need. Windows has changed, and now I just do a. I type refresh in the uh, start menu, and it just wipes itself, and you know we start again. Um, but um, yeah, that'd be really interesting, actually. It's it's because of the cloud aspect, isn't it? I mean, if all your files are on Dropbox, there was a time when you had to back everything up and exactly make sure right. your files were your drive and all that stuff. And you know, these days, that's less important. What you really want, I guess, is the app part 
to be in the cloud as well. You know, you just want to be able to refresh and then bring all those apps back down again in the same way we can with our phones. You well, know, there is kind of, like that. It's, yeah, no, not really. If you do sign in to Windows using your Microsoft ID, all your settings are synced across device, your wallpapers, yeah. your system settings, your you know accessibility settings. So when you go onto a new computer and log in using that ID, it'll be the same setup as your other PC. And also, it will also um, set up the same apps, but the caveat is the ones that are in the Microsoft Store, the Windows Store, not your third-party ones you download off the web. Mm. Um, but there is a little bit of syncing there. Uh, Chris got in touch and wants to talk to us about my thoughts on <laughs> what became known as the incidentals and also be my AI. <laughs> Hi, guys. It's Chris, one of your biggest fans. I'm still listening to this September 26th podcast, but I thought I'd just take a break and share a couple things with you. I got a real kick out of Stephen talking about the incidentals and Sean getting a little upset that maybe that minimizes people. I can't remember his words exactly. But, you know, I thought of these folks that are listening sort of vicariously to the podcast while their friends or other haves or better haves or how many ever you want to <laughs> divide people into um, is listening to the show. And I thought, I think we should call them bonus listeners. Because yeah. they're they're listening because someone else is listening, so they're bonus. So that that really kicks it up a notch and makes them feel very important. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to share was I was super excited to find out that Be My AI has been released to um, rolling groups of people um, worldwide. It sounds like, and I got the beta about a month ago, and I'm really um, enjoying it. And, but I haven't had a lot of time to play with it. So I thought I would take a picture of a painting. My brother was in the army and just before uh, he went on one of the years of duty that he was um, deployed to, um, he was in Korea, I believe. And he had a Korean painter, a street vendor, paint a portrait of me and he had a little picture of me, and I was about four or five years old at the time. And here is the sweet description that it wrote back. And I have this portrait hanging on my wall, and it says, The picture you sent is of a painting or portrait. It features a young child with curly blonde hair wearing a yellow dress with ruffles. The child is sitting on a toy horse and is wearing white socks and red shoes with white laces. The child is raising one hand and has a happy expression. The painting is framed in an ornate black frame with gold detailing. And I just thought that was so sweet. And I had details of the picture that I didn't know about and just kind of gave me chills. It was just lovely. And so I've been having fun with that. And so thanks so much for always having such a great show for us. And uh, keep up the great work. Bye. Thank you, Chris. And uh, we will do our best. Although we absolutely have no guarantees at all. Uh, yes, that was lovely. Can we it start with that one? No disrespect, Greg. Love you. But, you know, uh, that was a booster to me. I, that was a, I thought we'd end on that one for this segment, ah, right? right? Because I thought ah, that'd be okay. nicer, you know, be a nice kind of, you know, this is the, the plane has landed safely. <laughs> Everyone's cheering the captain. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> You're the captain, sir. Yeah, I, I gotta say that that sort of detail that you get from Be My AI, I totally agree. There's almost an emotional connection there, right? And that yeah. is the difference between something like seeing AI or just your Facebook image description. You know, uh, there's the difference, and you can really drill down into that detail. It is, it's a game changer. It really is. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible, and I think it just brings things to life. I, I think about all the pictures that go back, you know, years in my family. And it makes me want to get those pictures out. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you would think technology has, in a lot of ways, gobbled up other technology. I mean, there's that picture, I think, online of of like a guy standing next to he's on he's on a landline phone, and there's a fax machine next to him, and a, you know, um, or one of those, remember those organizers? That, oh, I can't remember the yes, name of them now. Yes, Palm Pilot the, the, or Scion organizer. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And all that kind of stuff. And all that had been gobbled up, basically, by the smartphone. And I think a lot of people think that that's it. You know, the traditional, uh, or even old-fashioned these days, perhaps, photographs on paper, you know, that would all just die away over time. But this kind of technology is showing that not only can it continue to exist, we can bring it back into our lives. And being able to walk around and attribute text to this image and actually get more out of it than we would ever have gotten out of it yeah you know i think that's incredible because even if you even if you had vision and you saw the picture you know you were four chris i mean even if you saw that picture and you had some sight at any point if you did then you would have had a vague memory of it but i guarantee you it's never going to be the memory you will remember right it's always different always is yeah memories change your brain changes over time so even if you did see it you wouldn't you wouldn't remember it so yeah just an incredible thing and you know that's why i'm so pro be my eyes on this i think they've done a fantastic job in working with open ai and so speedily as well i mean i think that's the bit we don't realize this was this goes back to february yeah yeah the fourth I mean, thought that went into this that was the conversation starting in february yeah and here's where we're at. So absolutely incredible. Uh, look, up next, we're going to talk all about the um, wonderful WordPress. World of web accessibility. Yes, WordPress Accessibility Day. It's a very interesting conversation. Stick around. We'll get into that next here on Double Tap. This is Double Tap from AMI-audio. Email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com. Call us, 877-803-4567. And find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at Double Tap On Air. And now on Mastodon, at Double Tap. So this week, I got the chance to catch up with Maxwell Ivy. Now, he is the blind blogger. He's also an accessibility advisor and someone who really knows his onions when it comes to web accessibility. So who better to talk to this WordPress Accessibility Day, an event which Maxwell spoke at last year. And he joins me now to tell us all about the day and also to talk about web accessibility more generally. Great to have you here with us, Maxwell. Thanks so much for inviting me. I was really surprised when y'all reached out last week and uh, and said you wanted me to come on and talk about accessibility, something I love talking about. So thank you. And of course, with WordPress Accessibility Day, it's a great time to bring up this topic, which frankly, I've been keen to bring up for a long time. And I think you are the exact guest I want to have this conversation with. And the first question I have to ask you is, and it's a big question, what is the state of web accessibility in 2023? Well, given that the Americans with Disabilities Act is over 30 years old, and given the thousands of people working in this field and some major corporations that are invested in accessibility, 
online. Uh, the truth is, it's a very sad situation. Uh, I recently read a statistic from the people over at AudioEye that says that, that still only 3 to 4% of the internet is considered to be 100% accessible. 3 to 4%, not 30 to 40 Three to four. Yes, you heard me correctly. I I wow. I cringe every time I say it because you would think you know I, I my first adventure online with my own website to Midway Marketplace was in 2007, so that was 16 years ago, and at that time I had to learn to code HTML to get online because there was no WordPress, Facebook, or Wi-Fi at that point. So I have watched things progress a long way, and. Even in that 15, 16 years, I still run into a large number of websites, apps, and content where I have to reach out to the technical support or customer support people and go, hey, I can't use this the way it is. Would you please help me navigate it? Yeah, that's interesting. And this seems to be an ongoing issue. It feels like we've been having this conversation forever, but I am absolutely astounded by those those numbers. Uh, talk me through... And we'll get into the, the bigger conversation around this in a moment, but I want to ask you a little bit about WordPress. It is WordPress Accessibility Day, Thursday, Friday. Uh, tell me why WordPress uh, is so important to you and why you think it dominates so much in, in the world of the web. Right. Well, I am a fan of WordPress. One of the one of the best days of my life was when I found, found out about it and when I found a friend online who was willing to help me migrate my website from where it was to a WordPress site. Uh, and the the reasons for, you know, my appreciation of them is frankly their sincere effort, because even from day one, 11 or 12 years ago, they have always been dedicated to the prospect of inclusion and accessibility for all users, not just the visually impaired, not just the hearing impaired, but they were even ahead of the curve when it comes to things like epilepsy and autism and neurodevelopmental diseases and those people being able to not only access websites created in WordPress, but to be able to create their own websites in WordPress. Now, to be totally honest, I have to admit that since the introduction of Gutenberg in 2019, I think it was, that I find some things aren't as intuitive as they used to be. Some things take me a little bit longer to figure out how to do them because it was a, a radical change from rich text editing approach to a block editing approach. So it's one of those things that, you know, in your mind takes a little bit of time to adjust to the, the new approach. And then, of course, since Gutenberg, every time they have a new update, they uh, they... In, they change even more things, but hey, that happens with every website we use. I mean, there is no such thing as a static website on the internet. Everybody changes their content either because they feel like they need to for better security or better user experience, or because they feel like they need to to justify the fact that somebody's getting paid to maintain their website. So it all changes. Uh, but there have been some difficulties, in my opinion, with more recent versions of WordPress, but who else is going to dedicate speaking slots at all their events to accessibility? You know, who else is going to have the kind of accessibility teams that they do on the back end of creating their product? Who, who else is going to, to push accessibility to the plugin and widget developers the way they do? So they, 
they get my my top rating for sincere interest and effort and while they're not 100 percent either i feel like without them my life would be so much more difficult because you know the next best options would be something like drupal or possibly using a website builder within a hosting company like like bluehost or godaddy or something like that and and I've played around with those, and I, I cringe every time I think about the possibility that I might not be able to do things with WordPress. So uh, that's why, to me, they are so beloved within the disability community and by me personally. Yeah, and I think that's the key point. I mean, you know, obviously, there's two sides to this. There's the consumer aspect, the people who use the websites who can use those websites if they're created accessibly. And of course, that's a, another conversation we should have. Um, but also the fact that the back end, and this is the bit you're talking about, right? The bit where you can get in and actually create your own website, that's accessible. So, you know, the content creator, as well as the consumer, can get the benefit out of the content. Is it the case that, like all web accessibility, it's down to the individual developers, the person who's building the site, and that's what makes it accessible. It's not that WordPress inherently makes it accessible. You hit it right on the head, Stephen. It all comes down to the person who creates the website. Now, WordPress does make it easier for sites to be built that are accessible on the front end at the user level, but they can't force people to add a given item to their website just because they think it would be better for end users. and uh, But they do a good job. One of the things that they have done, which I, I think really helps a lot, is the um, inclusion of fields for alt text and descriptions when you upload an image to a WordPress account because it's going to prompt you, and while it won't force you to enter text there, it will make you feel like you're... You, you know, you're going to have to do that in order to get to the next phase of adding an image to a to a page or a post. So I feel like that's that's been done well. I think the a lot of the search engine optimization that uh, that they encourage on their back end is is helpful. But you're absolutely right. It comes down to the individual website developer. And this is where if you if you've got a chance to check on any of my talk for last year's WordPress uh, accessibility day is that I totally believe that accessibility is a partnership. It requires communication and collaboration. It means that I have to tell people who develop websites what I need and why I need it. I have to help them create the accessibility that's involved in making it where I can use it without having to think about it or get or go get my Tylenol. You know, um, I have to give people. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give people the reason why they should care about accessibility, which is twofold. That being, first, for every t every time you create something that's accessible, you are almost always creating content, websites, or apps that are better for everybody that will use them, not just the people who have disabilities. And that's really important because a lot of website developers are like, why should I care? Because there aren't enough of y'all to make it worth my while. So that's a big thing. The other thing I talk a lot about is when you make a website accessible, you give yourself the opportunity to reach a huge, mostly untapped market of consumers 
whether that be products, services, or content, we are a large market, over 1 billion, 300 million people, if you add this all together. Uh, we are highly loyal to people, businesses, and brands that make us feel welcome for accessibility. And we will advocate for inclusive brands. I like to use this line, and uh, I hope it I hope it uh, it sounds the way I hear it in my head, but basically, when you develop, when you build products, services, and content for everyone, for people with disabilities, if you make your work inclusive, it's like hiring influencers you don't have to pay. Mm, so, so yeah, that's that's, that's the so reason true. I tr- that's the reason I try to give them, and then, you know, the developer has to do their part. They have to take advantage of the tools that are available to them in WordPress, GoDaddy, HostGator, HTML, PHP, Java, whatever format they're using to create their websites. There are so many tools available to them and so many companies and individuals that will help them follow the accessibility guidance that we try to give them. It's just up to them to follow it, and that's where giving them the reason, making it compelling that they are inclusive is is really the key. So like I said, uh, it's it's a partnership. We have to communicate and collaborate, and I really feel like if we would do that more, and maybe spend a little less time on new regulations, threats of lawsuits, and shame, we might get a little bit better as far as the amount of inclusive websites. Well, it's interesting you raise that point because that is the other view on this. That is the almost what you're talking about is the carrot approach, and then there's the stick approach, which is let's threaten all kinds, let's threaten legal action, and all of that. And, and you know, I'm leaning towards your view on this. I think I'm very much on on that side of let's have a conversation because I, you know, this is what I'm intrigued by from your experience. Do you find when you go to a developer and you ask the question, hey, you know, is this site accessible or, you know, could this be more accessible? Do do they even understand what the concept of accessibility is? I think that a lot of them have at least least a basic understanding of what it is, but it scares them, uh, which is one of the reasons why I feel like I generally get such Uh, great responses from developers and from customer support people is because I approach them in a non-threatening manner. I'm not like, you're horrible, evil people, and if you don't change this by yesterday at 3 o'clock, there's going to be trouble. I'm like, look, I am a visually impaired person. This is the technology I use. I would love to use your website, your app, uh, your service, but these are the issues I'm having with it. Is there some way that we can work around this? And Sometimes they fix things, and sometimes they go, Mr. Ivy, would, that's what you need to do. Would you be okay with us doing it for you? And so, hey, if that's what it takes for me to accomplish my goal for that day, I'm totally fine with it. And I actually have encouraged some developers to even put some of that into their, uh, into their process. Like, one of the things that blind people struggle with is uploading images to profiles. I wish more people would do like speak mm. like Speaker Match does, and just say, "Hey, here's an email link. If you don't think you can upload your image and get it properly centered, just send it to us, and we will add it to your profile for you." I wish, you know. So I do things like that, and I sometimes hear from other disabled people who are like, "Max, that's not true independence. That's not true accessibility. That's not true usability." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I got what I needed to get. I got my." My end goal is satisfied the job in the short done. term. Yeah. 
You got the job done. And that's oftentimes that's the challenge for all of us is just getting through the day. And we've enough challenges in our lives, right? And it's not uniquely a blind thing, but we all have problems in our lives. We all have challenges. We might have kids running around, you know, wanting fed or, you know, a dog wants out every five minutes or whatever it is. You know, there's stuff going on in our lives. And you just want to get to the end of the result. And sometimes I often think about the word independence. You know, it also includes the word dependence in there, right? It's kind of twofold. It's but it's part of the same thing, ultimately. Right. Well, one of the things I am well known for speaking on is is I like the, I like the topic of interdependence. And the first time mm. I ever heard it was in Tom Sullivan's book, Hearing Lessons, Things I Learned in the Dark. And when I heard it, I'm like, man, that's how I've always lived my life. Because my dad taught me from an early age, he's like, Bags, you're, you're going to have it harder unless you ask for help or let people help you. So... You should never be afraid to put your hand up and go, hey, I need some help. And so I've pretty much always lived that way. But then to find this, you know, an incredibly famous, successful guy say that that's been a big part of his life, too. I was like, man, that was a really big aha moment. So I, I agree with you. I think we overemphasize the word independence, maybe a little more on the dependence part. Uh, but I like to talk about interdependence as opposed to it, independence and uh, collaboration instead of compliance. And he knows I may just be wired differently, but that's the way I do it. But, you know, you talk about accessibility and are people familiar with it? I recently started writing for an, a magazine called PHP Architect, and they're really, really, really nice guys over there. They wanted somebody to write about accessibility for their developers. And some of the questions that I have been asked about accessibility from these people, because they're not afraid to offend me because they're because they've got me as a as a contributor, you know. So that gives them the freedom to ask me things they wouldn't necessarily ask a strange blind guy on the street. Here are some of the things that we have talked about and a couple that I've written about: um, color descriptions on websites. How do blind people navigate emoticons, stickers, and gifs? Spoiler alert: gifs are totally inaccessible to blind users. Mm -hmm. um, one that they didn't th that they didn't realize is the the disastrous effects small changes to an existing website can have on accessibility as a result putting a barrier between you and your customers. You know these are things that they would have not thought of, and a lot of people don't think about until I bring it up and start talking to them about it, and they're like, you know, I can't believe that that is a big thing when it seems like such a small thing, and. Uh, I think that goes back to the whole idea of communication. And I agree with you. Uh, we need to spend more time on the carrot and a little less on the stick. If you think about how cantankerous mules are and the fact that it takes both to get them to go in the direction their owner wants them to go in, that should be a good example for us. <laughs> I love that one. I love that. Uh I want to ask you, because we've been talking about AI, of course, you know, it seems these days you're shortchanging people if you don't discuss AI in every conversation you have these days. But, you know, AI, of course, is a very real thing. It's having a big, big impact on the web, and it's going to have even more of an impact on the web itself in the coming months, never mind years. And I want to ask you this question, because it's something I think about a lot. Web accessibility is a challenge. You've just given us the stats on this, right? That The stats are horrifying. If AI could allow me to use a chatbot 
to be able to, and I use the example, buy a yellow toaster on Amazon that's less than $40 or maybe up to $50, but no less than $25, that kind of thing. And could you add it to my basket and pay for it using my card ending one, two, three? If I could do that in a chatbot and it could do it, does that allow Amazon to get away with inaccessibility on their website? If I can find my own way to do it quicker and easier and like we said earlier just get the job done well obviously you're answering you're asking a question that you know i'm going to agree with you on so uh congrats <laughs> for following along at home as they say um so, so i mean i think to a certain extent there's already artificial intelligence built into the amazon process otherwise it wouldn't recommend all those other products every time i try to buy something that i actually went there to purchase so uh, I think what you're talking about would make perfect sense, and I don't see why. The The problem is go, for them is going to be this. They are going to have to get the rules concerning accessibility and things like the Americans with Disabilities Act changed. Otherwise, while they may be making their process very accessible, in my opinion and in your opinion, they won't be conforming to the regulations on how it's supposed to be achieved. So... I think that artificial intelligence would be great if it could do that for you. And I really like it when I call somebody who I have to deal with and it all, it automatically recognizes my number and says, hi, Mr. Ivy. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. And, and I really like it when I can enter, when I can, when I can tell my, a bill like T-Mobile, I can tell them, Hey, I'm paying this with my MasterCard ending with certain four numbers and it'll go. Sure. I like stuff like that. So I think uh, I think Amazon should hire me and you to co- to uh, to implement this, <laughs> and and then they should pay us to advocate that this is definitely accessibility in the spirit of the ADA and all the other regulation on accessibility. Now, I also think about artificial intelligence because uh, it's one of those subjects that's a little scary, or it can be. So here's what I wonder: uh, I wonder if we let I, if we let artificial intelligence run free, and hopefully we're not going to do that. But I wonder if artif- if the AI programs would look at accessibility the way a lot of short sighted companies still look at access- accessibility, and do the math and go, I'm sorry, it's not worth it. There's not enough of them spending enough money, uh, sharing enough content, creating enough content. There's just not enough of them to require us to do this. And that's one of the things that worries me a little about artificial intelligence is that on the one hand, yes, it could go a long way to making things accessible that are not right now. But on the other hand, it could also go a long way towards excluding us even further. So I think that's where we really have to have some limits on what artificial intelligence can be used for and what it can do. Now, you say I... I've asked you a question that you would automatically agree with, but I think the part of it that I wasn't sure if you would agree with me on was whether or not it lets developers off the hook when it comes to accessibility. Now, what your answer tells me is that there's a broader question now going into 2024 and beyond of what is accessibility? What does accessibility actually mean? Is it every heading has been formatted as a heading, every button is labeled, or is it about making the process of using the site easier through voice or through chatbot or through another method? I mean, an example I think about 
is the Disability Answer Desk at Microsoft, where I can now contact them through the special support on my Be My Eyes app that's way more easier than trying to navigate the site to find the phone number or even just do the email or use the feedback hub. So, you know, it's many doors, same room, right? But, you know, the challenge is that one of those doors may not be accessible to us. But if there is another door, is that okay? It's totally okay with me. Uh, I'm, I'm all about the end result, and I think it would definitely get them off the hook with me as if it if it works, you know. Because one of the things we were promised, yeah. we, uh, one of the things we were promised with the algorithms years ago was that we would get to a point where we we would only see advertising that's for products that we're actually interested in, and we both know that that's very unreliable if it works at all. So. Uh, so, you know, whether or not it would work, I don't know. In my opinion, it would get them off the hook with the percentage of accessibility enthusiasts who are all about pragmatic, um, functionality, performing a particular task and is with as little effort in as short a time as possible. It would get them off the hook with me. Whether or not it would get them off the hook with the government is a whole nother story, and I, and whether it would get them off the hook with the, quote, advocacy groups is also a whole other story. And I personally think that there's enough people that are invested in the rules of the road, the actual letters of the laws that have been passed, that there would be people who would fight over this particular d- definition of accessibility, usability, whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't be one of them, but I think we can both agree there would be people and advocacy groups who would fight tooth and nail to say this is not accessibility. Now, I want to go back to your first point about the stats that you read from AudioEye about 3 to 4%, not 30 to 40, 3 to 4% of the web being essentially accessible to, to us as disabled people. I want to go back to that because you said that And what I've heard from you is a sense of hope, a sense of optimism. And I'm trying to work out why (laughs) things can get better. Where's the optimism? I'm trying to work it out. (laughs) Okay, I will help you out with this. uh, And yes, I said 3 to 4% is 100% accessible. There's, uh, you know, there are many more sites that are partially acceptable, but they... But many of those have one or more things that are just that would just aggravate the heck out of me. So, three or four percent—that's a hundred percent accessible. So, here is where the hope and the optimism comes from. First, I have always been a positive, optimistic person. Uh, my, I have friends who say that mice could find a dark mice could find a find a rainbow in a hurricane. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I made that line up, but it sounds better if I say other people said it. Um, <laughs> so here's some of the things that make me optimistic. All right. One, we have people like AudioEye that are employing people with disabilities to generate what accessibility looks like and then apply that at scale. And they're not the only company. They're just one I happen to be familiar with. There's lots of them out there. And because of legal action, like I say, sometimes a stick is needed. Because of legal action, those automation options are becoming better and better every day, or they're going out of business if they're not getting better. So that's part of it. Uh, I'm a public speaker. And over the last year or two, I have been invited to speak on accessibility more often. 
I have seen the number of events looking for speakers on accessibility and inclusion growing exponentially. Uh, it seems like just about every business-based event that I that run that I run across is seeking a speaker. When you read the list of topics they want people to speak about, there's always a topic on adaptive technology, accessibility, inclusion, uh, people with disabilities, inclusive meaning best practices, etc. So there are a lot of people in the business world wanting to find out about accessibility and wanting to learn it from people who do it. That's encouraging. Uh, the number of opportunities I have had to write for websites on this subject. I'm, and next month I'll be publishing an article on Roku from the point of view of a visually impaired person for Reviewed Magazine. Um, I've been writing for AudioWise since last year. I've been writing for PHP Architect since June. And so there's publications that are, that are seeking experts on accessibility to share their knowledge and experience and their opinions. So that's encouraging. Uh, you know, the more, there are more and more websites that have, uh, that have done things to make it where, you know, they must, uh, they must know that they, have potentially visually impaired users. Uh, one of my favorite examples is uh, I searched a long time to look for a content relationship management or CRM software, and I had a lot of trouble finding one. And the main thing was setting up my workflow always required me to use a drag and drop option, which generally are not fun with a screen reader because you don't have access to the mouse button which there again is something a lot of people do not know. They don't know that blind people because of their screeners don't have access to a mouse most of the time. Um, but I, I, I got to connect with uh, people on the back side of that company, and I found out that from the bottom up, their employees said, we want to be part of an inclusive company, and that means your, your product needs to be accessible to screener users. So they went and found an open source option to create a drag and drop where I just use my space bar and my arrow keys to move items around within the forms that I set up so that I could enter my information. And uh, anytime I have a problem, they don't just take that as Max has a problem. They take that as a suggestion of something they should fix for all their users. So these are the kind of things that are encouraging. When you see a large, a well, I guess you'd say medium to large company where accessibility is an issue from the bottom up. And I think we can either credit or blame the, the, a lot of the young people like the millennials and the Gen Zers for this because the same thing that makes them passionate about the environment, about LGBTQ and the other letters that follow after it, uh, the same thing that makes them passionate about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion makes them passionate about accessibility. And they push that up through the ranks of companies that they belong to. So those are some of the reasons why I'm positive, because, you know, we're never going to get to 100% of 100%. But as long as you can see real movement, and it's movement at all levels, the corporate C-suite, the average worker, the, the management levels, you know, you see it at the level of uh, the magazine and blog publishers, the, uh, you know, the speaking event organizers. So that's why I'm that's why I'm really optimistic about the future because I, you know, you you mentioned, you know, uh, you mentioned inertia earlier. You said, you know, if we take our foot off the gas, 
then we could find ourselves in worse position down the road. Well, right now, to borrow a Russian expression, the current is flowing in our direction. We need to swim. And there you go, Maxwell Ivy joining us there, uh, talking all about web accessibility. I am convinced, Sean, we're going to get one or two emails out of that conversation. I am looking forward to it. Absolutely. And WordPress Accessibility Day continues tomorrow as well. So we'll, of course, be following that. And uh, any big announcements that come out, we'll let you know. Also, MetaConnect event due to start today. Uh, We're going to learn all about virtual reality, Sean Priest. Are you excited? Um, Yes. Yeah, we'll have an email show tomorrow. Um, yeah, look, uh, yeah, whatever, right? Look, we'll be talking on about all of this on Access Tech Live. Mark Flalo and I will be deep diving into the Meta Connect event, so you can tune in to Access Tech Live on AMI-TV, Thursdays, 12 noon Eastern, on uh, AMI-TV and on the AMI app and on YouTube and on your tooth fillings. Wherever you find signal, <laughs> you'll find us. Uh, yes, it, that's where you'll find all the information about MetaConnect. We'll be talking emails tomorrow here on Double Tap. Catch you then. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.